Recently on Disclaimer, Philip Brophy deconstructed Francis Plant's discography, performances, writings, and approaches to music making. Francis Plant is a musician from Melbourne whose work swings between songwriting and a variety of approaches, including group improvisation, instrumental abstraction, and domestic music concrete. Reflecting on his influences, recording process, and Brophy's profile piece, Plan talks through his entry into music making, his progression of albums, and experiences in collaboration. This is a podcast from Liquid Architecture. Support Liquid Architecture's podcast and publishing through a Patreon subscription. To support, head to patreon.com slash liquidarchitecture. I'm Francis Plan. I'm a musician. I've recorded and released a lot of music over the last 10 or 15 years. Most of that music is home recorded um, and a lot of it is sort of both melodic and song based in some respect, but also kind of exploratory or one of those other words that everyone always rejects as a label for whatever that other music is that is not song-based music. as a teenager like reading this book I think it's called Four Musical Minimalists it's like this classic book about American minimalism and I remember telling my mom about Lamont Young's sort of origin story about hearing because he he grew up next to a power station or something um, and so he would hear this kind of droning sound as a child and it gets sort of worked into the mythology. And um, I remember telling my mom about that. And that's one of the sort of facts about weird music that sort of stuck in her mind as a kind of way of explaining it forever. So like, you know, these people have some kind of childhood experience or something that leads them to be interested in this. Um, but I don't, I don't have a story like that. Um, the first thing that I thought of is, my first memories of music are actually of not liking music full stop. Like I remember sort of being in the car as a kid, you know, we had like cassette tapes in the car and whenever we moved from like whatever kind of story book, sort of audio book kind of thing to this one of the music tapes that we would play, um, which was either this bubblegum compilation or the monkeys or other things that are like suitable for children. But I remember being kind of disappointed and being like, oh, music is sort of such a waste of time compared to listening to a story. But I mean, I became really interested in music. Like I think probably at like the age of 10 or something like that. And like a lot of people, I mean, sort of considering sort of when that was in the late nineties, like the first music that I, was interested in was metal really and I had a family friend who was older than me who was 
you know, she was really into um, all kinds of sort of mainstream sort of alternate metal and stuff like that. And But she also, because she read magazines, um, like metal magazines, she would sort of tell me that there was all this other sort of she told me about like black metal, like Norwegian black metal and all this stuff, the more extreme variants, you know, of this music, which essentially, you know, what I was listening to was like completely like mainstream pop music just with like loud guitars or whatever. And that's what she was really into as well, essentially. But so I sort of remember, you know, the difference in some ways in our attitude, like for her, it was sort of funny that there was this Norwegian music that sounded like it was recorded in a bathroom or whatever, and like was just like sort of scary hissing sounds. But even when I was 11 or 12, I was sort of like, well, I must, I must hear that, you know, like I have to know what that is. And, you know, it's an interesting kind of music because um, it really is sort of both very traditional music in some ways, but it sort of opens on to a lot of very extreme and strange sort of music. I think something, you know, like a lot of people, like I became really into the Beatles and like all the 60s sort of pop music and that sort of opens up also onto its, this sort of fringe of it, right? And, you know, it's like, like I remember giving a class presentation about the first Pink Floyd album when I was in like grade six or something when we had to like do something for music. You know, that kind of structure of like, sort of all the normal songs and then the last track is the long weird one or whatever which is like so classic sort of late 60s I remember at some point sort of around the age of 12 or 13 wondering like is that just like normal like all records have to be like that they sort of have to have the weird thing at the end Um, but you know yeah and if you get seriously into the Beatles like if you get into the Beatles enough in a nerdy way, even when you're 12, like suddenly you are like, what is Stockhausen and John Cage or whatever? Because it's going to come up in the books, you know, like even if you sort of find that stuff kind of unlistenable, like Revolution Number 9, it still sort of becomes part of this fascination that you have with that stuff. And the other sort of angle of kind of different music that I became interested in really early from pop music um, was free jazz because it was always sort of referenced as a kind of reference sort of point for things like Pink Floyd and whatever. And my dad had In a Silent Way by Miles Davis, which is like, I guess, more like a sort of early fusion record or something. But I still remember playing that when I was 12 or something and just actually found it quite disturbing, like the sort of like the dissonance and the sort of complexity of the music, like then just the sound of all those electric pianos at once yeah I was I think I was quite aware that I was encountering something very much like outside of my normal way of experiencing music and
Yeah, the guitar. Uh, the guitar is a kind of obvious instrument that you learn to play when you like, you know, rock music or whatever. And my the same family friend who was into metal and older than me, she played the guitar. Actually, she played the classical guitar. And I think sort of around that just got to a point where it just sort of it seemed very natural that I would start to learn to play. I was still in primary school. Like, yeah, I mean, she sort of showed me a couple of things. And then after that, I just was like completely self-taught. But even from the, like, and I couldn't really play like even in a vaguely sort of acceptable way for like years um, because I was self-taught. Like it took like quite a long time, but it's funny, you know, like it's the only instrument that I can play vaguely well but um right from the beginning like when I was still trying to like work out you know even the most basic things about playing the guitar um I was making like weird recordings on the you know those cassette boom boxes had the built-in mics yeah like I remember making lots of tapes of just like like any kinds of like sort of ridiculous sounds um sort of that sort of happening parallel i guess i guess it's funny because philip mentioned the guitar sort of very prominently in his piece i thought it was interesting that he sort of framed it that way because I mean, some of those pieces he's talking about, it's like they didn't begin as guitar sketches or whatever. Like, it's not always like that. I mean, it's certainly the instrument I play the most also because, you know, it's one that you end up, you know, it's around the house, like, and you sort of just can sort of play in that kind of noodling way without sort of sitting down to do something. So a lot of ideas come that way. But especially some of my, like, instrumental kind of home-recorded pieces, they can begin with, like, anything sort of. It can... Some of them, like, actually the first thing is, like, the the percussion track or whatever. And, and the way that I do that music increasingly over the last few years is actually kind of improvised in a way. Like, I sort of often don't – it's, it's, like, it's very much about multi-tracking and sort of about overdubbing. And I think that, you know, you can – anyone who has an experience of doing that as a one-person kind of – you know, one sort of one person multi-tracking over themselves can probably hear that in my music. I think that the sort of structures and the, the logic of how things works sort of comes out of that process of of adding layers sort of alone. Yeah, it's like improvising with something where you know what's going to happen or something. Like it's sort of you know, on, on some level. But then I guess I also like the sort of, the idea of improvising for thinking about overdubbing and, and multi-tracking because, you know, sometimes I have a very clear idea in my head of what will happen sort of right from the beginning um, in terms of what layers will be added and what they'll be. But most of the time, even if that's the case, it doesn't happen in in the long run that that's actually what I do. And then often often it's quite the opposite. Like I just record something and I'm like, okay, what what goes on top of this? Um, which in some ways I think is mm, sort of like a lot of people who make 
like abstract paintings and stuff have a similar kind of experience. I think a lot of the time it's like you have these marks or these sounds and you're like, okay, so what goes here? Like sort of working on the assumption that actually anything that I'm capable of doing is an option. So like, what is it going to be? There is this kind of tendency to think about experimental music as somehow being like conceptual. In my experience, like, well, I guess it's somewhere like abstract painting is another good like analogy, I think, in some ways. Like, you know, it's sort of like this running one liner through the history of 20th century abstract painting for the painters to point out that, you know, abstract art is actually more concrete than representational art in some way um, because it's, you know, not a representation, it's just the thing. And in some ways I sort of feel that the same way about that kind of that association between experimental music and, and conceptual approaches. Like, I mean, I think the majority of experimental music is far more material than like any normal music is. Like it, it sort of has far less ideas in it even, like you could say, like to put it in a kind of weird way than a lot of like more normal music does because it's simply about ways of organizing sounds. But yeah, for me, it's sort of, it's certainly not the idea of expressing a kind of concept or something is quite foreign to me. To the to sort of loop back around to that question around the two the two approaches sort of of like the songs and and the other stuff it's definitely something that of course they're very closely related in in a lot of ways but even in terms of process like for me you know there really are these or there have been in the past like very very clear like sort of two distinct kind of streams of what I do because you know writing songs even when it's the early records I did where it's just me sort of doing everything at home it's still like very very planned you know because they're actually written out like sort of in a not written out but they're sort of planned conventionally which is also the case in on the early records especially with lots of the other material but that that's constructed completely differently like a lot of it's very edited together you know so it's sort of I mean, the early, the my first couple of, of records are really just like these kind of, they're almost like schizophrenic or something. It's just like there's pop songs and then there's this very actually tightly constructed kind of music concrete stuff, even though it's done like in a really very lo-fi and sort of naive way in terms of the technology and stuff. It's still basically done as music concrete, like the same kind of principles. And then they're kind of like those two things are sort of edited together into these long sequences where it moves from one to the other, but they are very separate in terms of their conception. And I think that that, that sort of very like separateness in those early 
records is also just partly to do with my own listening, like sort of just being very interested in these two things and sort of still, you know, the songs coming very much from this particular set of like very classic sort of pop references in a way, like especially the Beach Boys on the early stuff. And then the music, the sort of experimental music references being sort of more varied in a way from like super highbrow, like music concrete to lots of sort of, there's a lot of influence in my music now still like from that sort of 80s tape trader kind of noise sort of thing um, and that way of doing things. But in more recent years, I think actually, yeah, the the distinction between those two things is is not as strong anymore. I mean, it would be a nice way of thinking about it to sort of to see that movement as being like, you know, sort of some kind of synthesis or something. Um, it doesn't feel like that to me really like, and yeah, I mean, in some ways it's sort of just been replaced by a, slightly, a sort of different um, sort of pair or dichotomy or whatever, which is music that I make alone at home and then the music that I make with other people, which is often then recorded in a studio. Yeah, the question of technology... It is really interesting um, because, yeah, it's it's certainly like one of the reasons why, you know, working with other people is so different often is because the, the whole sort of setup and what we're recording with and whatever is completely different. And I have a very different relationship to it because I'm not usually in control of the the recording. Yeah, so Rural Objects is recorded on tape, but almost everything that I've ever done is as well. It's actually it's all on the same machine. It's a it's an eight track like cassette tape machine, um, but the the eighth track is broken and has been for like ten years or something. So it's like a kind of seven track machine. Um, there's a little bit of digital recording and there's lots of digital editing um, on some of the earlier ones, but it's funny to think about like what role it plays, you know, because there is this kind of lo-fi thing, I guess, where people sort of record on tape as a very deliberate kind of aesthetic choice. Um, and obviously I like the sound of it, you know, because I keep using it. Um, but it's also, I've had that thing since I was a teenager and um, I had a four track before that and I sort of upgraded to this. It's so incredibly convenient for me on a number of levels that I just keep using it. Um, it's partly, I mean, I do really like to sound, and anyone who's worked with those machines knows they sound so beautiful because they just everything sounds finished because it's got this compression sort of in it from the the tape and the preamps and stuff. It sort of it sort of cuts out like a lot of sort of post production and stuff that you would need to do if you're doing things digitally because it's all just sort of has this particular kind of quality and it just sort of sounds done, you know. But then it's also the process of like all the well, I guess you call like the the sort of interface of it. I really hate recording and tracking on a computer because I hate having the screen there and like I hate seeing the waveforms and stuff like that and even in editing sometimes I find that actually very difficult to sort of abstract from the the visual thing and actually hear properly 
so working at the tape machine is great because it doesn't involve a computer. You're sort of just sitting at this thing and I feel like I can sort of listen much better and work better in that way. And then there's, I think, I mean, although it's been something that's frustrated me a great deal, like over the years of working with it, I now am quite attached to the limitations of it. So, you know, I have the seven tracks essentially, and then that's just it. Um, and it does mean that there's sort of, sometimes I become conscious of the fact that like a great deal of my music has this exactly the same level of density to it <laughs> because it's just seven tracks of like whatever. But I have actually been sort of messing with that a little bit more recently by I'm starting to sort of, I'm starting to do things recently that I sort of, I'm surprised I hadn't done before, which is sort of bounce stuff off the tape and then back on and things like that quite a lot. Um, but on the early material that I recorded with it, I do think in some ways I was, well, I was fighting the, the, the noise just on Like I would really try very hard to make it not noisy and like hissy. Now, like the stuff I'm doing more like in the last couple of years, it's just like it's worse. The recording is worse than anything I've ever done in a way. Like I sort of, I've started to just like it, I guess. I'm just sort of very comfortable with the way it sounds. And, you know, I just get mastering people at the end of the day to try to clean up a little bit of the very high sort of white noise stuff. It's funny, like if you were to look at the at the records, it would sort of seem like I only started working with other people at a certain point in whenever we did tenth volume of Maps. But from around the time the first album came out, or maybe just before, I started playing live, and that was always a band sort of situation. So, and we play the songs and other stuff from the first couple of albums, and so then by the time got around to doing that sort of like the third album, which has, you know, other people playing on it. Joe was playing, had been playing drums in the band for a couple of years already. And um, yeah, I think I sort of, I mean, in, in retrospect, it seems weird to me that I didn't actually track it properly as a band album. Like, and, and well, what seems odd to me actually in retrospect is that ne that never even occurred to me to actually get like, the bass player from the band and all these people. Instead, basically Joe and I did it all together and then we did loads of overdubs later with other people. Um, but I think that was more sort of like I sort of having this recognition that it was possible to do it that way, you know, like I had the 
that I could make a record that was actually of a professional standard sort of <laughs> because like the you know all it was all right there you know and like sort of I could live out these kind of you know fantasies of having string arrangements and things because I'm totally in a completely different situation to when I first started making music and like I didn't really know any musicians except the people that I was friends with in high school or whatever you know by the time that came around I had all these amazing people who were part of either playing in my band or just part of social circles and so it just seemed natural to make a bit of a you know that record's a bit of a sort of it's a bit over the top in some ways like there's so many people play on it and then from then on it sort of I think that sort of got me sort of used to thinking about recording things with other people and sort of approaching it in a more traditional kind of band way and then the records after that the under my own name i mean one of the things i think is sort of interesting like sort of chicken and the egg kind of thing is when i was doing everything at home with my own very limited capabilities in terms of playing everything i was sort of really interested in music that was sort of in arrangements and ways of doing things that i could do you know like this sort of you know like sort of you know, the most kind of minimal sort of late 60s kind of weird Beach Boys records that are like very unvirtuosic and very unmusicianly, right? They're actually like super simple. And then, you know, I'm, much, I'm very, very interested in the sound of like loosely arranged kind of really played music now in a way that I never was. And I, I think that's partly from playing with other people a lot. And then also realizing, you know, like I can make a record with Joe playing drums, who or Maria Moles playing drums, and my new one, who are like, you know, they're like as good as any drummer in the world. You know, like it completely changes the sort of way you can think about what you can do. That you can have this kind of looseness, and then that's also just sort of, I think it's just the way my listening has changed, and over the years, and being sort of much, despite Philip's comment about jazz being terrible music or whatever like i mean like more that i'd say like sometimes like the only music i listen to is jazz but like a lot of what i listen to is jazz over the last like decade um and it's just filtered in very deeply that kind of not that i can play that music i don't have the capability to do it but like the the approach where it's like you know you have the composed composed thing is sort of treated quite loosely I mean, the song-based stuff, like, increasingly it's just years of tinkering. Like, it probably takes me, like, five years or something to come up with enough bits and pieces and put them together. They trigger all kinds of memories. Like, I, I remember sort of... And I can remember, like, not just the process of making them, but kind of the whole sort of... The sort of... The interests and the sort of thinking and stuff that went into them very strongly... And they, you know, in some ways they do, when I see them in sequence, I guess they tell me a kind of, like, story to myself that ends with where I am now or something. Like, you know, in this kind of, like, sort of the only way it could be. Like, but they do have a kind of through line in that sense, like, that I I would see. Um, there is a kind of development, like, in some ways. But at the same time, each of them is kind of... Isolated, I guess. Red books on gently 
Yeah, I mean, it's obviously Philip's piece was amazing. I was incredibly flattered that he did it and that he did it in such incredible detail. I mean, I thought it was sort of striking in some ways. I mean, there were some aspects of what he did and the way he presented it that were, like, so right to me in a way. Like, especially sort of early in the piece where he sort of makes that big point of sort of saying that you know, like a song with a weird structure is not some kind of critical thing directed against, like, I don't know, the hegemony of a normal song or something like that, which is, you know, it is the kind of discourse that populates a lot of art kind of writing and also of experimental music. Um, it's not that. It's just, you know, it's just like another way of organising things and, you know, they're sort of um, that sort of resonates very strongly with me. Like I certainly don't see anything that I am doing as somehow, like, I mean, I don't have, like, I don't see anything like avant-garde about like my music in an actual meaningful sense. You know, I think, I mean, the avant-garde is actually a very limited, like a very specific kind of thing historically. And like, certainly there's nothing like, you know, transgressive or something in my music. And the, you know, like any kind of bizarre, linear sort of long song structure that you can think of like there's a probably you know not just a some 60s sort of very well known kind of you know rock pop thing that's done that but even like even some like standards have like really strange interesting structures like it's just you know this it's all there sort of and there's a lot to sort of that kind of modular approach to putting things together is like this it's just another way of doing it and it just sort of is more interesting to me and increasingly also in recent years because I sort of I sort of like the sort of lack of clarity or something that it brings and so that sort of resonated with me but the the thing I think with with Philip's piece that I, I sort of felt was sort of funny there were a couple of points where it's like almost like he was suggesting that certain things I'd done were like ironic in some ways or that there was a kind of like, uh, and there's this hilarious bit where we describe one of my tape releases as like almost embarrassing or something, which I laughed out loud. It was very funny and very, very brophy to say that. Yeah, that kind of, the idea that like the naivety or something of some of it is like a really deliberate choice or some kind of, I mean, like I was reading that and I was just like, no, that's like with that release especially, it's like that's that's literally like that's the best I can do, like, you know, with all those, like, <laughs> I mean, it's such on that one, it's like there's a lot of instruments and it's like some of those instruments I can only just play them well enough to play those parts. Like it's sort of, I mean, I do like kind of amateurish music and like I am sort of interested in it, but it's certainly not in an ironic way or like as some kind of, gesture or something like I mean for me the thing that's interesting about like a band like Maharshala Hashbaz like this sort of you know extreme amateurism which I mean to me what's sort of interesting about that is how you know this completely amateurish sort of music creates all this complexity um because no one can play in time and there's all these mistakes and stuff it's sort of the same as like music played by hyper-professional musicians who find it boring to play anything straight and so they do all this improvising so there's all this complexity. It's sort of like it's not the idea of being unrefined or something that is interesting to me. It's like it's the result 
you know, sometimes I do things in a way, especially at home, like in recording, like I do things badly, like in what would sort of be a, like the wrong way of doing things. You know, on Rural Objects, there are some tracks where there's like a, a single track on the tape has multiple parts, like in sequence in a row, but the way that they're sort of, each one sort of cuts the last one off in a kind of like sort of sloppy way. And like, you know, I could have sort of spent a lot longer trying to make that neat, but I didn't. And it's because I sort of like the effect of it, not because I like the idea of it being sort of, I guess the reason I don't like the idea of irony or whatever, like it doesn't seem to, I'm not sort of interested in that. It's because like for me, like someone who can't traditionally play their instrument, but does something amazing with it, is actually not at all distanced from their instrument or from what they're doing in an ironic sense. Like they've just like created another sort of practice with that thing, you know, and they're probably like absolutely invested in it and like absolutely sort of inside it, you know? Um, and it's not about sort of standing back and being like, oh yeah, I'm not doing that properly. It's sort of about creating a this situation in which that is the way to do it properly, sort of, because, you know, it sort of creates its own sort of standard or something. This recording was produced by Mara Schrettweger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organization for artists working with sound and listening. Support Liquid Architecture's podcast and publishing through a Patreon subscription. To support, head to patreon.com slash liquidarchitecture.